Surprise! <laughs> I really wanted a show of hands, like, who knew I was going to come up here, because that shows us who reads our newsletter. Um, but I know that it's uh, just even looking out, the many mysterious looks. My name is Marcus. Um, I am on staff here at Shine Church, um, and I know that at this moment in time, you're probably wondering if you should stay or go to the bathroom and sneak out the back door. All the doors are locked, so now it's an awkward situation where we're all here together for a couple hours. Um, but don't worry, we'll be painless. Um, I am truly humbled and honored to be up here and have an opportunity to teach. Uh, it is my first time actually teaching at Shine. Um, I know many of you as faces and as names and as friends and as family, um, but it's just a, it truly is, a, a, it, it's been a process, and I'm going to share a little bit of the process of me coming back up and, and teaching on a stage again, but it's been a, a long journey, and I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to share just kind of, you know, what the Lord is doing in the midst of our church and in the midst of my life and hopefully in the midst of your life as well as we just share in this partnership and a journey that we've kind of deemed this year called um, Come With Me, the idea of following Jesus. Like, where, where are we going in life if we're not following Jesus, right? We're, we're lost in the process. We're, we're kind of going our own ways, and Christ has beckoned us to come with him, to follow him, to, to go on this journey, to, to live as he's commanded for us, to, to set out a path for us. Um, and right now, we're talking about this idea of transformation. How are we transformed in that process? As we follow Christ, what does it look like in our own lives to be transformed into the likeness of Christ? It's something that he's called us, something that he's commissioned us into, something that his word is very clear about, and something that we should be striving for in our lives. And so that's the journey that we're on right now. And um, last weekend, Pastor Dan taught about repentance, um, did a phenomenal job, and, and I think he mentioned to everybody that it was going to be part one of a two-part repentance series that um, I ultimately stole from him this weekend. He was going to teach this weekend again, um, but it's something that's near and dear to my heart, something that's really, I believe, very um, foundational for each of us as believers, this idea of repentance and what does it look like and what does it mean and, and how do we actually do it? How do we walk it, the path of repentance in our own lives? Um, and so uh, I'm going to be sharing my story a little bit here, talking about like why, not, not why I'm an expert in this, but, but part of my experience with it. And I hope that it meets you in a place where God has a heart that's open to as well receive what I've been able to be a beneficiary and receive in my own life um, in this process. So that's kind of the journey that we're going to do today. Um, we're not going to have a whole lot of interaction, but I did want to open up before we actually jump into the message, um, just for our congregation, any person in this room, based upon repentance and what Pastor Dan shared last week and the foundation of this idea that repentance is changing the way that you think, what, what has happened this last week for you? Is there any testimony of how that's been applied to your life? Is there any way that the Lord has spoken to you? Is there anything that he's revealed to you? Really just anything um, hinging off of last week talking about repentance before we jump into part two of that today that you would think would be valuable, beneficial to either give God glory for in your life or potentially even just share what he's doing in your journey through this process. So if there's anybody in here, just raise your hand. We got a couple mic runners to be able to just share what God's doing in their life regarding repentance. Um, I was really, hi, my name's Rosanna, and I was really confused because I actually thought that uh, repentance uh, or being repentant was a verb because I, and I think all this week I've been not really, like, kind of confused, but kind of like searching and saying, okay, so it isn't something that I have to do. It's something that I just have to walk in and, and believe because it's kind of, 
like Indiana Jones, you know, when he walked across and then all of a sudden the bridge was there. Yep. You know, I don't know. I just thought about it like that. And so I kind of just have to walk in repentance and in what was the other word that was used? I can't remember. He asked if it was a verb or a noun. Yeah, repent, repent. and repentance. Yes. Yeah, repent. And so it's been like an enlightening week for me, just kind of searching that out and for myself. So That's so good, Rosanna. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Anybody else feel that same kind of thing? Like, you know, as, as we navigate through this idea of repentance, is, was anybody sitting here listening last week and being like, that's, that's dynamically different than what I expected it to be or what I thought it might be? Anybody in here? Good. Good, I like that. And we'll dive more into that a little bit today. Anybody else have anything to share? Anything the Lord's doing in your life? Anything that he's teaching you? Confusion even? I, um, I'm Laura, and I couldn't stop thinking about it, what you taught about, Dan. I just, it was just going on, and then there were things that happened during the week where I was like, okay, I need a new thought process. And Janelle, I had a whole thing where I had to be in the waiting, and it wasn't for very long, but still, but the letting go was what's happening. But anyway, mm. the, the changing of the mind. Yeah happened to me quite a bit this week. So good, so good. And I think as we go on that journey too, like we become more and more aware of how much we need to align our thoughts with his thoughts, right? And that, that process in and of itself is the idea, the heart of repentance, right? Is, is aligning our thoughts with his thoughts. And so, you know, it's a journey. We think about it in this massive ordeal, right? I think oftentimes when you use the word repentance, it's this lofty thing, this huge thing. And it can be. It can be, but it also is something that we're just to apply to our daily lives, something that we're to walk out daily when we recognize that our thoughts are not aligning with God's thoughts. So that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Anybody else? Lauren. So I was just thinking about it this week in the context of parenting um, because I have always, I mean, I think I do sometimes think of repentance as just like, like do better, do different. And as a parent, like that's oftentimes like the message I send to my kids um, which is appropriate in certain areas of parenting, certainly. But um, just even thinking through, like, watching their behavior and the, like, their gut reaction to rebel against the, like, doing exactly what you tell me to do all the time. And, and just praying through, like, Lord, what does it look like for me to parent that process of Holy Spirit working in their hearts and teaching them a new way to think? What does it look like to partner with the Holy Spirit so that they actually learn how to walk that path mm -hmm. um, as children, as adolescents? Um, and so it's not just fix your behavior, do this right, but discipling them and what that looks like. Absolutely. I mean, I want to be better at that. I didn't get it yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I totally understand that. And that is, I mean, it's true. And I'm... And, and, Janelle and I have six kids and kind of the same idea, that same journey and the recognition. We have actually talked about this a little bit, but that recognition, like this is, a, this is an individual choice and, and the youngest of children need to be able to make that choice. We cannot repent for them. We cannot make that decision for them. We can do behavior modification and try to adjust them into a place, but God's desire is for each of us to connect directly with him and all of us have that ability no matter how old or how young you are. And so that process of learning how to teach and to train those underneath us, specifically those closest to us, is huge. We should see those as beautiful opportunities. Um, the Lord actually gave me a word a couple weeks ago. Um, he said condition. Mm -hmm. 
condition your mind. And the first thing that came into my mind was like conditioner, <laughs> hair conditioner. And I saw it untangling my, my daughter's hair, actually, because her hair gets really in knots. And I was like, when I have to use conditioner to get her hair untangled sometimes. And the Lord was like, not only conditioner, because he untangles my thoughts, but conditioning as in like training your, your body. And he's like, I want you to condition your mind. And so it was like this both and of an untangling that he does, but also a training of my mind. And so as I was, um, I listened to the message and um, I was just pondering on that it parallels the, the conditioning our brain and repenting and being with him is the only way that we can condition our mind is like receiving his truth. And then I even saw, um, I was talking to my niece about it, like it recreates those pathways in our brain yeah. that like neural pathways, the yeah. neural pathways when we receive over and over and over again of being in his presence, letting him speak those truths and create new neural p pathways and new thinking, new yeah. ways of thinking and conditioning ourselves to show up and to untangle and rethink. So mm. Mm. that's so good. That's so good. So rich. And part of the reason why we, you know, even, even choosing to take two weekends to talk about this idea of repentance, it's not a one-time thing. It's, it is a conditioning. It is a, it is a process of us continually untangling, continually getting into the shape that God's desiring for our minds and our hearts to be in. And that's, that doesn't happen in an instance. There are miracles that happen in our world and miracles that, you know, he intervenes in our lives and does incredible things in a moment. But generally what I've found is this idea of repentance is a walk. It's, it's a journey that we do with the Lord. And so we have to have a starting point, but really there is no ending point. That's, that, that is the journey of life with Christ, and I think that's so good. Anyone else? All right. Well, if you don't notice, I talk really fast because I like to say a lot of words. I like to get a lot of things in in a short amount of time. Um, so I'm going to... Um, you could stop me at any point if I say something that's too fast or whatnot. But I wanted to, because I don't know a lot of you in this room, at least not to the, to the depth of really understanding stories, understanding journeys, understanding life. Um, a few of you I do in here and a few of you I don't. I thought it might be important, um, especially the first time that I get up here on stage to teach here at Shine, um, just to share a little bit about God's story in my life. So it, it is my story, but it's God's story partnered in my life. Um, and, and you'll see why this is important. Um, but I was raised in a, in a Christian family. I, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, and I've loved the Lord my entire life. I, I truly was raised from a young age that, that that is the primary importance. It is the emphasis in life, and it's something that I really just, I loved. I grew up in the church. I was there, you know, this is back in the day when you were at church three or four times a week. So, you know, we're there on Sunday mornings. We're there on Sunday nights. We're there Wednesday afternoon, you know, Wednesday evenings. We're having potlucks on, you know, all different random days. We're having small groups, Bible studies, all that kind of stuff. And, and really, like, when I was growing up, like, life, my, my parents weren't pastors. They weren't, you know, they were volunteers in the church. Um, but we were there all the time. And I loved it. My, my friends, I was, I was actually homeschooled for eight years, so all the way through eighth grade. So a, a large majority of my friends came from church, and it was dynamically just the place that I plugged in. And, and from a very young age, I, I loved being part of church. I've never one time doubted the existence of God in my life, never one time doubted that Jesus is our salvation, that he died on the cross to wash our sins away. I've never had any of those doubts in my life. Um, it's always been a foundation 
that has been there. Um, and as I, uh, as I grew up, I was baptized around 11 years old. I knew that it was what we were supposed to do. And it was, you know, I was like, hey, you know, the Lord has my heart. This is what I want to do. It's the right process. Um, and then I was, throughout middle school and even high school, I, I was surrounded by a lot of other leaders within the church that I just, I grew up for whatever reason, the, my DNA and the way that God decided to wire me, that I just have natural tendencies that, that lend towards leading other people. I'm loud, I'm obnoxious, um, I'm demanding, um, I have vision, you know, all of these kinds of things that, that as I was young through middle school and through high school, so many people would point at me and they'd say, Marcus, you're a leader, you're a leader, you're a leader in God's church, you're a leader with these people, you're a leader among these youth or whatnot. And, and I took that to heart. It was something that was, was um, important to me. I, I, I got value out of that. I, I, I was able to really feel important. I was, I, I was able to feel this idea that I was welcomed and desired um, because of the giftings that God had given me and the things that he had called me into. And, and I tried to walk those out. So I was in, you know, youth leadership, and um, as I was uh, going through the process of high school, I played sports, and I was a leader on my sports team, um, and I played football, I wrestled, and it was something that, that just came natural to me. It was just a process in life that was just very natural. Um, and when I was in high school, I, um, I went to public high school, so those were the only years that I went to public school were ninth through 12th grade. And while I was in public high school, I did it because I wanted to play sports. In Texas, football's a huge deal. I'm not a small kid. Um, and I, I'm a, I literally was like about the same size I am now when I was a freshman in high school, if you can imagine. And I'm not kidding you. I wrestled 215 pounds at fre in my freshman year of high school. Um, so I was a big boy. Um, and so I loved it. I loved it. I, 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 the ultimately, like, it's so fun when you're wrestling as a freshman, you're 215 pounds, and you're wrestling against these guys that barely hit puberty. Like, you just manhandle them. It's very unfair. It's not really, it's not a joy for them, but it was a joy for me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because I realized I let so many of those things go to my head, right? Like, and eventually people start catching up to you. Like, I, I came in full-grown. They came in half-grown. And by the time we're, you know, juniors and seniors in high school, they're finally full-grown, and I feel like I'm, like, half the size of each of these guys. Um, and so it was, it was just an interesting process, a fun time in life. Um, but I knew that the Lord had more for me. I was thinking about going to play... Um, college football. I was getting offers from some Division I schools to go play defensive line. And it was, a, it, it was something for me that I was just like, hey, free education. I didn't come from a family with money. Um, and so I was just like, hey, this is an incredible opportunity to go to a wonderful school to do something that I enjoy um, and to be able to get a free education. So my, my desire, my path in my mind was to go and to attend um, a college that's, you know, a good college, play football, and then see what happens in life. I wanted to become an engineer. That was kind of my desire. Um, and so I started pursuing some of those things my junior year of high school, trying to figure out what does that look like. And between my junior and senior year of high school, in the summertime, the Lord met me one of the first times I've ever, I ever could say that I heard the voice of the Lord. And the Lord said to me, he said, Marcus, it's time for you to stop and put all those things aside because the, the, the people that you're hanging out with, you're allowing to influence your life in a way that's incredibly negative. And it's time to cut those things out because I have something else for you. And so I wrestled deeply between my junior, senior year of high school, whether I actually follow that or not. And, and even this idea of hearing the voice of the Lord was something that generally wasn't like talked about a ton in my church. I came from a denominational church in the South. It's not something that really we talked about, this idea that God himself wants to speak to me other than potentially through his word. 
but I knew that there was something deep-seated in my heart that I needed to, to take this deviation of path and, and say no to that. So that summer, I called my coaches, um, and I told them I'm not coming back to play sports. Um, I'm going to focus on trying to finish high school. And I knew, um, I, I began to gain an awareness of this organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Um, and so that summer was really pivotal for me in life because I really was like, okay, like I know that there's this organization out there. I've had a little bit of dabbling with them. Um, they're a missions organization a global missions organization. They're actually the largest interdenominational Christian missions organization in the world. They're huge. Um, and so I determined that I was going to finish high school. I'm going to graduate early. I'm going to save money, and I'm going to go to YWAM to do what they call a discipleship training school, which is like the initial nine-month course that you take to um, learn, to engage with the Lord, to, to build a d deeper foundation outside of, you know, your parents' faith or the faith that you grew up around, um, but to build a personal faith, and then to take that and to share the love of Jesus around the world. And I was like, hey, this is incredible. This is amazing. So I went and I did that right outside of high school. Um, and I loved it so much that I stayed for a little bit. I came back to Texas, but I went back into YWAMs. And so overall, I was in YWAM for like two and a half years, from the years of like 18 to the, to the age of 21. Um, and I, I took schools there. I staffed schools there. I lived in Kona, Hawaii. Um, I got to travel within two and a half years. I got to travel to 22 different nations, sharing Jesus to people. Um, and it was just this incredible journey. I was just like, this is wild. This is so much fun. And I just love like spending time with other believers. I love going out into the nations and just being able to share his love with others um, and see people come into this deep relationship with him. And it's just, it was just something like, like all the culmination of everything that I had grown up in, everything that I had been taught, seeing it come alive and just this new thing birthed and now it's my thing. It's not my parents' thing. It's not my church's thing. It's not the people around me, you know, from high school thing. It's like, it's what God has given to me. And it's just like, I am passionately, you know, involved in this. I'm passionately given over to this. I want to spend the rest of my life serving the Lord. While I was in YWAM, I met a girl. Um, we were in our young 20s, um, late teens, young 20s. I met a girl who was actually from Colorado. And so um, we ended up moving to Colorado, and um, her dad was a pastor, and so we got married, and we started working immediately for the church because we had no money. If you guys know anything about missionaries, they have no money. None of them have any money. Um, and if they do, you probably want to look into their books um, <laughs> because, you know, it's all funds that are given and distributed by either churches or individuals. So we came out here, and my father-in-law said, hey, why don't you guys come and work for my church for a period of time um, and, you know, get your feet underneath you and you know, our heart's desire was to go back onto the mission field, but about five weeks after we got married, we got pregnant. And so, as you can imagine, like, that changes things up a little bit. Like, when you're in YWAM, you don't have insurance, you don't have, like, you know, the ease of being able to go and have family around you or easy hospital access and those kinds of things. So we decided to stay. I've never left, just so you guys know. So that's the, basically the end of that story. I've never left Colorado. I've lived here for over 18 years, um, and that's kind of the start of that journey. Um, but it was also the start of the journey of me stepping into pastoral ministry. So around the age of 22, get married, um, jump into pastoral ministry, and from the age of 22 to the age of 35, I was in full-time pastoral ministry, wearing all different kinds of hats. Started in kids' ministry, moved out of kids' ministry, worked, went into media and technology. It was right, like, kind of at the advent of time, like in the early 2000s, of churches having cameras and, you know, lights and, you know, showing things across the world with all of these streaming platforms and all those kinds of things. So got involved in that deeply. At the age of 27, we actually became a multi-site church, this being one of those sites um, back in the 
the day. It was Jubilee Fellowship Church. Um, I was at the Lone Tree Campus, and at the age of 27, um, I actually became the campus pastor of our largest campus. Um, and I did that from the age of 27 till the age of almost 35. Um, and it was a wild journey, like an incredible journey, so many different things that I learned, so many incredible um, just moves of God, just watching as, as he navigated life and just was kind of dictating what was going on and what was happening. And if you look from the outside in, um, you would have said, like, dude, you've made it. Like, you've really, like, I mean, with, with what you laid your life out being a, at a young age, you've really achieved something. I had, we had six kids at that point in time. We're, you know, part of the, we were pastoring the largest um, group of congregants that were part of Jubilee Fellowship Church. Um, and life was good, you know? Life was really, really good. But that's what that's all the seen things. That's all the stuff that like, and I know some of you in this room probably have even seen portions of this journey or maybe the, even, even the entire journey. Those are all the seen things. Those are the things that you can see from the outside and that you can tangibly look at and be like, yo, you made it, dude. Like, good job. Pat on the back. But what you didn't hear in that story are all the unseen things. And oftentimes the unseen things are significantly more important in life than the seen things. Because what I didn't tell you in this story is that from the age of 11, I've struggled with addiction in my life. Like things that have gripped me to the core. And I buried them because it, I knew that it wasn't supposed to be part of who I was. And so, for, for almost 25 years of life, I took these pieces of me that I knew were not the way that God wanted me to operate and to act. That's not the way that he wired me. It was not the best for my life. But I could put those by the wayside because I could display and show all of these other awesome things that God was doing in and through my life. And I could be like, hey, look at this and not this. So for 25 years of my life, I struggled with addiction, deep addiction. And I buried it with everybody. I lied about it. I created webs of lies around those kinds of things. And eventually, I almost, in, in my own mind, and my own heart, I believed it wasn't that big of a deal because if it was that big of a deal, how could the Lord be blessing my ministry in this way? And that inevitably created this deep-seated pride in me because I felt like I was building something when in reality, God was the one building everything. I felt like I was creating and I was living out my purpose. And in reality, God is so gracious and merciful to not destroy his people when people like me come in with impure hearts and impure motives. And he's still going to do what he does best while behind the scenes I have incredible unrest inside of me. And there's sin that is running rampant and wild in my life. I... Because of all of these things and these, these, these elements and this, this insatiable need that I felt to control everything, as you can imagine, when you're protecting yourself, everything has to be controlled. I have to control the narrative. I have to control people. I have to control what they see. I have to control what they know. I have to control if truth starts to slip out, how that's developed, and make now new stories around all these kinds of things. And my life for over 25 years was literally built on this idea that I have to control everything. That led to deep, deep anger in my life. If you're a person that has to control everything, I can guarantee you right now, you are also an angry person. And I can say that because I've been there. Control leads to incredible unrest inside of you, and when we don't know what to do with the unrest within us, the natural response from us is anger. 
Because if I can't control it with my behavior, with my words, it's gonna come out in another way. I'm gonna intimidate you ultimately. And that's who I was. And I didn't even know it. I was blind to so many of these things because I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to see it. So I now have a staff at our church and people that look up to me and, and are responsible to me. And I say look up to me. They looked up to me positionally, but what I didn't know is that they never looked up to me with any respect, with any honor, with any care, with any intention to serve you know, what God has called me to do in this process. They did it because that I was the one who made sure that they got a paycheck. I was the one who could say, hey, you know, your attitude's wrong and you're out of here. We're going to replace you. I was the one that could make so many of those calls. And so people responded to that appropriately from the outside. But what I didn't know is that there were so many rumblings on the, you know, behind the scenes of just like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? This control freak, this angry man. You know, he says these things and, and it, it looks and sounds great from, from a pulpit, but like, that's not the person that I experience on a day-to-day basis. And so I just weaved this web of lies. And I did that and I lived that for a long period of time, far too long. And so that unseen showed me eventually in life that I love the Lord. I've always loved the Lord, like I said, at the beginning of this whole thing, but, but I wanted my sin more than I wanted to honor and obey God. That's ultimately it. So I could stand in the pulpit and say what you're supposed to do. I know God's word. I understand the motions and, the, and the, the heart behind those things. But in my own life, I wanted my sin more than I wanted his life in mine. More than I wanted to follow what he was calling me to do. More than I wanted to shift my mind in repentance to think the way that he thought. I had my ways and he had his ways. And I'm going to be a proponent for his ways with everybody externally, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do in my own life. And I took many futile attempts to rebuild this. I tried, I knew that it was wrong. And once I got into my young 30s, like I, I had a lot of personal come to Jesus meetings where I knew deeply, like this is not okay. This is not appropriate. And at that point in time, you know, so much time has gone by, it almost feels like you're hopeless and helpless. And you're just like, I don't know what to do. The pits are so deep. The lies are so broad. The web is so entangling. I don't know how to get out of this. And in 2016, my wife came to me after I went on a mission trip. I came back from the mission trip and walked into the living room of my house. And she said to me, she said, hey, I don't know why I feel this exactly, although I know a lot of reasons why I feel it. But she's like, I, was, I would have been fine if you never walked in that door again. And I was like, something's wrong. And it was a massive mark in my life. Keep your ring on. It was a massive mark in my life where I know that you play with your ring all the time, so. I got the mic now, buddy. Um, that I was just like, I got to do, I got to change. I got to change. I don't know what it takes. I got to change. And so I spent a process of years in my life trying to change. And it was a futile attempt and a really expensive one, honestly. I, I went to a psychologist. I went to a psychiatrist. I went to a psychotherapist. I went to multiple Christian counselors. I did EMDR. I did neurofeedback therapy. I got tested for being bipolar. Like, I just, I literally ran the gamut for everything that you could do because I'm like, I need to figure out what's wrong with me. I know something's wrong with me. I need to figure out what it is. And 
Ultimately, what I did was I wasted years and I wasted tens of thousands of dollars going and doing all those things because the reality was is those, those weren't the issues. I'm the issue. I'm the issue. My heart is the issue. And so at the end of about three years of a journey of me literally just wasting every penny, I mean, literally I liquidated all of our savings, everything that we could do because I'm like, I need to find help. I, I ultimately was exposed. Everything came to the surface, not because of me. There's no like, hey, good job, you finally did it. This was literally, I was exposed. And I was in a public um, office that I held. I had an opportunity, you know, I was in front of people, people, thousands of people knew who I was. You know, I was in ministry, and immediately, like, the brakes were hit hardcore. And it was just like, nope, like, this is over. This game is over. And I didn't know what to do. I knew that I needed help. I knew that my heart deeply yearned for it, I thought at least, but I wasn't willing to take the hard process and the steps forward to to actually walk repentance out in my own life to see freedom and forgiveness from these things. But now I was faced with the realities that I'm going to lose my job, I'm potentially going to lose my marriage, like I'm going to lose all of the finances that I have, like we have six children, maybe I lose my kids, I I don't know, like everything's on the table at that point in time. Everything's on the table. And I'm just like, I I don't know what to do. And I was in a dark, dark, dark place. I mean, I mean really dark. Like I I wouldn't I I would come home from work, and this is right this is before I was I was fully done with my job, but I would come home from work and I would lock myself in my garage and I'd play my guitar, I'd play games on my card games on my computer, I'd smoke cigars and drink till like the sun came up, and then I'd go back and go back into life and just try to do it all over again because I didn't know what to do. And I just had to find things in my life that made me at least feel halfway decent because I did not feel good about my own self and how I had treated other people, the lies that I had led and all that kind of stuff. And I was lost. I was fully lost. I'm I'm supposed to be a leader in God's church and I'm lost completely. And so I just started this journey of trying to figure out what do I do from here? Like I know that all these people with all these degrees that take a ton of my money, they're not helping me. So what do I do? And I, I found an organization that's actually in central Kentucky, um, and it, it deals with men with addiction issues. And I was just like, hey, I don't know what to do. I don't have any money. I can't go to one of those fancy rehab places that, you know, you're on the coast of California or Florida, you know, where it's all peachy and beautiful weather and whatnot. And it's just, you know, you just need time away, and you need to talk to these people for a little while, and they're going to help you get out of your pit. I didn't have money for that. I wanted to, but I didn't have the money for that. And so I found this organization um, called Pure Life Ministries, and I, it was in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. It's in a place called Dry Ridge, Kentucky. That's literally, none of you have heard of it, and if you have heard of it, you've probably been to Pure Life. So because that's literally the only thing there. Um, and so I was just like, hey, I got to go. And it was a nine-month program, and you, had, you got a job. They gave you a job, not on the campus, but you got a job in the, in the community um, while you were there to help pay for your fees. And then it was just a I didn't I actually didn't even know what I was buying into, honestly. I just knew, like, I didn't have any money. This is the one thing that, that people online have said was helpful to them, and so I'm just going to go. And so I left. I packed everything up. I sold almost everything. We sold our house. Um, I had, I literally had a bag, one bag with me and I left, I left my six kids, I left my wife and I went on this journey to Kentucky to just find help because I needed to get, I knew I needed to get out and I knew something had to change. And so I went and that's when ultimately my redemption started. It was, it was a process that God started in me at that time and he is still doing in me right now. 
And that redemption journey started ultimately with finding the mercy of God in my life. I recognized no matter how much I had done, no matter how much damage I had created, no matter how many lies I had told people and how much they still believed those or didn't even know what was truth and what was the lie, that God would find me because in this journey, his desire is always to be searching and seeking after his children. And when they're willing to turn their hearts to him, he meets you with his mercy. He meets you with his mercy. I don't know why. Because I'll tell you what, I don't deserve that. And looking out here, I'm pretty sure none of you deserve that either. (laughs) Not for real. We don't deserve God's mercy. But the first thing I understood in this journey was that he he was offering me his merciful hand. And it was beautiful, and it was painful, and it was challenging because I was forcefully humbled. And I said this actually from the back wall a few months ago when we were talking about the message on humility when Pastor Dan was talking. I was cut at the knees. I did not make a decision to quit my job. I did not make a decision to expose the lies. I was exposed. I was forcefully humbled. The Lord cut me on my knees and he said, little boy, you're gonna go down low and if you're not gonna choose to do it on your knees, I'm gonna take out your legs. And that didn't feel like God's mercy. It felt like his judgment. It felt like his punishment. It felt like he legitimately was getting involved in my life in a way that I was just like, I had to just suffer pain. And then yet, what I didn't know then, I know now, is that I was forcefully humbled and it was painful, but it was good. It was good. It was beautiful. It was right. It was what I needed in my life to start to understand the authority of God and what he's called me to and my surrender and the process of what this needs to look like now. I realized at that moment in time how much of me and how little of God I really had. I knew about his word. I knew all the things to do. I could teach you any book of the Bible, anything that you wanted me to. I could get up in a whim and just teach. I knew here, but I had very little of God here. I had me here. And that's the place where I started this journey of learning repentance. It's the start of that journey. And like I said, and I want you guys to know something, like I don't stand up here as an expert in anything. I stand up here as a man who is walking the path of repentance with you. This is a journey that will take me for the rest of my life. And I'm thankful that I've been given the mercy of God to walk it. So I want to teach you just a little bit in the time that we have right now, I want to teach you just a little bit of what God has shown me through this process a process of fighting and struggling and, and, and really going tooth and nail after this. And, and ultimately, I split this up into two things. And I, I think that this is important. I hope that it is something that's pivotal for you, um, as it has been for me, because here's the reality. Not one of you in this room should ever be able to walk out of this room and say, that wasn't for me. Because repentance is a gift and a call and a, something that God has commissioned every one of us to walk in. So I don't care if you're a crazy sinner that has a bunch, a huge web of lies like me, or you're somebody that just struggles to have, you know, the understanding of who you were created in Christ. If your mind is not set and established on thinking the way that God thinks, then you need to repent. Sorry, not sorry. I don't know if I'll ever get back on this stage again. I'm, I'm not kidding, not because I'm not going to be invited, but I might not be invited. Um, <laughs> Although I have to do this tomorrow because nobody else is prepared with the message, so. Um, 
I never knew if I would ever get up and teach again. And part of the reason is it's because I never want to get up here with that impure heart again. So I, I need to tell you, before I tell you these principles, before I share with you the things that God has taught me that I believe you can hold on to, I need you to understand, I have gone before the Lord for years, over five and a half years without ever exercising this gift because I needed to know that I could stand up and share his heart, not mine. And so I literally, I share this with tears because it means the world to me. Church, I'm tired of us doing church and people not being free. I'm tired of us gaining knowledge that you will be responsible for, but you're not going to apply it to your life. Everything that you learn in that seat, everything that we share, you will be responsible to the Lord for. And if you're not going to apply it to your life, then you probably want to walk out those doors before I teach you these things. And I really mean that. And I mean that wholeheartedly, not because I'm angry but because I don't want you to face a judgment on something that you know in your head is appropriate, but you're not willing in your heart to actually walk it out. God's word is very clear. You will be judged based on what you know and your level of obedience to that. And I have had to push pause on the journey of my life to gain more knowledge because I'm really terrified of how much I know and how unwilling my heart is to obey. And this process of repentance, church, is something that every one of us has to walk out. So I want to talk about what repentance is not first. I read this book that was pivotal for me. And it's a book, um, very, very um, not original or, I don't know, it's just called Repentance, actually. Um, so you probably could Google that and find a thousand books. Thank you. I'm a crybaby, too. Um, it's a book called Repentance by Rick Renner, and I, I just stumbled upon it when, at the beginning of this journey um, before everything had fully fallen apart. And I read it, and a lot of it actually was very similar to, like, content to what Dan was teaching last weekend, um, and it wrecked me because it, it, was the, it was the moment in time, I have a moment and a marker in time when I knew I'd never repented. I had done what, what I thought was repentance, what we talk about so frequently as a church as repentance, but I'd never really repented. And, and what was really pivotal for me was when he talked about in his book what repentance is not. And so I'm, we're going to show these on the screen here really quickly. They're also in your notes. Um, the book is called Repentance by Rick Renner. I would encourage anybody to read it. It's super short, super easy to read, um, and it's potently powerful. Um, and the first thing that he says, in the, so there's, there's three things that he says, one I added. Um, he says guilt. Repentance is not guilt. Guilt is a prison that will keep you perpetually bound and unchanged. So you may feel guilt, but if the only place you actually approach in your life this idea of, of your sin and the weight of that sin is a place of feeling guilty, then you will always be in bondage and you will never change. The second thing that repentance is not is remorse. Remorse, it, it enslaves you in sorrow that engulfs you emotionally and it leaves you feeling sad, feeling depressed, feeling hopeless, and feeling unchanged. But church, repentance is not based on feelings. In fact, feelings have nothing to do with repentance. Now, they may come in the process of repentance, but your feelings are not repentance. Repentance is also not regret. Regret is ultimately self-pity that is focused more on your own personal loss than on the pain or loss that you have caused the others or the heart of God. And it leaves you unchanged. 
Anybody felt guilt before? Anybody felt remorse before? Anybody felt regret before? Been in all those places. I lived there for 25 years. And I thought those feelings in particular matched with this fourth one that I put on here, behavior modification. Repentance is not behavior modification. It's not focused on fixing the sin rather than the true root of the problem. I lived in what feels like an eternity of my life in this place. The majority, at this point in time, I'm 40 years old, the majority of my life, I lived in this place. Going through the cycle of guilt and remorse and regret and trying to change my behavior and always found myself in the same place. In fact, I actually found myself in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper darkness. Because the reality is, is none of these things are repentance. They can potentially help lead us to repentance, but they themselves are not repentance. Because I wrote as a note, and this is, again, it's in the notes on you version if you want this, but I wrote as a note, the, the reason these aren't, one of the major reasons these aren't repentance is because all of these keep us laser focused on our sin, which we are powerless to control. They make, literally these things make you worse than better. So if, if you feel these things, if you're walking this process and your desires for repentance, I want you to know first and foremost, these are not repentance. So if you're doing these things right now, then you can just give up. Because these aren't repentance, they will not bring you freedom, they will bring you bondage, and ultimately they will enslave you to yourself. It will be you and you alone trying to walk this process of repentance, and that's not possible. In fact, Matthew 6, 22 through 23 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I read this verse over and over and over and over again as I was leading up to leave town and go to Kentucky. And I was like, what does this mean, God? What does this mean? Like I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and tried to understand and I really believe that the Lord gave me revelation and an understanding. He's saying, if your vision is focused on your sin, then your internal being will always be unhealthy because you have to cast your eyes on me, the only one that can bring health. If all you do is stare your sin in the face, you're gonna become a greater sinner. Nobody walks down a path trying to go straight, looking backwards. It's foolishness. So if the things that we focus on with our hearts and with the mind's eye that God has given us are our sin, it is our, our, our darkness, it is all of these things that we are powerless to control, if you focus on those things, then you're going to be a slave to those things for the rest of your life. Because God has said, that's not the way that I have established you. That is not how I've created you. I want health in the inner being of you, and the doorway into your heart is your eyes, not, not just your physical eyes, the, the mind's eye, the thing that you focus on, the thing that you put your attention to. So when he calls us to this idea of repentance and changing our mind, he's not just trying to say, hey, I want to seed your mind with my thoughts. I want you to see what I see with your mind. And unless we can do that, we will never be healthy inside. We won't. So what is repentance? Repentance is turning. It is turning, which ultimately the way that I said this, it's a reordering the authority in your life. And I want you to get this before I say it. It's not, it's not as important about what you're turning from, but what you're turning to, okay? I don't care what your sin is, and neither does God. 
If you have sin, it separates you from him. Bottom line, you can have a deep pile of sin, a high pile of sin, a wild pile of sin. It could be 25 different kinds of sins. It could be 2,500 different kinds of sin. It could be one kind of sin. Any of it separates you from God. So it doesn't matter what it is. God is not concerned with that. He is concerned with you stopping your process of staring at that because he wants you to turn from sin and turn to him. You turn. You literally pivot. You make a full 180 in the way you think. The mind, the mind's eye stops focusing on your sin and how do you get over your sin and you focus on Christ who's the only one that can bring you freedom from it. Repentance is surrendering. It's laying down your will to follow Christ's will. It's something that pretty much all of us, because we're humans and we're stupid, we don't like to do. And I really mean that. Like something I've learned in this five and a half year journey is all of us are idiots. (laughs) Some more, some less. But all of you are an idiot. Because we love to follow our own will. We love to follow our own will. And the reality is our will leads to absolutely horrible things. Destruction. It doesn't just destroy my life. It destroys other people's lives around me. Like how stupid is that? And yet we've been given this idea that God has a will for your life and all you have to do is surrender yours and take up his. So repentance is turning. It's surrendering. It's receiving. It's receiving. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives you. And it's similar to the gift of salvation. You know, we talk about salvation and being a gift all the time. We very rarely talk about this idea of repentance being a gift. But salvation, you cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. You can do nothing in your life to receive salvation, right? It's a free gift that when we come to the Lord, when we look at him in the eyes and we say, I need your salvation. I repent. I walk away from these things or whatever. He gives it to you. Well, this idea of repentance is the same thing. It's a gift. It's already been issued. You need to receive it. You can't earn it. Stop trying. Open your hands. Open your heart and receive the gift of repentance from the Holy Spirit because it's free to everyone who asks with pure heart and motive. And repentance is also transforming. Please get this because I think this is incredibly important. It it has been for my life, I will say at least. True repentance brings complete transformation. If you ever have a question, if you're walking out true repentance in your life, then you need to look at the transformation that's happened in your life and through your life. And if there is no transformation, then you are not repenting. I'm sorry. True repentance always comes with total transformation. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens. In fact, I can use scripture to provide precedent for that because I know that that's a heavy thing to say, but Matthew 12, 33 says this. You've heard this before. You must determine if a tree is good or rotten. You can recognize good trees by their delicious fruit. But if you find rotten fruit, you can be certain that the tree is rotten. The fruit defines the tree. What fruit is coming out of your life? What fruit is coming out of that habit? What fruit is coming out of that relationship? 
What fruit is coming from you reading God's word? What fruit is coming from you spending time in prayer? What fruit is coming through the relationships that you have as you go out into the world? If there is not good fruit being presented to you, then I can tell you right now, the fruit is not the issue. The tree and the roots are the issue. And we love, I love to spend time picking bad fruit, man. I spent a long time picking bad fruit. I'm an idiot. Because you can't, you pick bad fruit off of a bad tree and bad fruit's going to grow back. In fact, frequently, more bad fruit's going to grow back. You got to kill the tree. And the process of repentance is recognizing that when we have bad fruit, we don't need to pick it off. We need to kill the tree. And God is in the business of planting new trees and watering and growing and nurturing and blessing and allowing good fruit to be born. Joel 2, 12 through 14 in the New Living says, this is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. He's saying this to you. He's saying this to me. Church, turn to him while there's time. Give him your hearts. He says, come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Don't just act from the outside that you're sad about your behavior. Anybody can do that. He says, but tear your hearts instead. God doesn't care about the outside. He cares about the inside. He's not even, he's not, God is not in the fruit picking business. He's not, he doesn't care about your sin. He cares about the the tree itself. Because if the tree is planted in a healthy place, it will bear good fruit. So he's like, Forget about this. I almost said something I probably shouldn't have said here. Um, he said, forget about all this. But he said, forget about all this fruit. This tree has to go. Open your heart. Forget about the things that can be seen. And then he says, return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. And every one of us should say amen to that. He is eager to relent and to not punish. He is eager to relent and to not punish. So why are you hiding everything? Because he only brings freedom to the people who are willing to say, I'm done trying to pick fruit. The tree's bad. Sorry. I can do nothing about it. He will relent and not punish. But for those who hide and who think that they're portraying something, he will never be fooled. And I never want somebody to get so far down the road like I have and bear such bad fruit only to realize, like, what have I been watering? What have I been nurturing? He is merciful and he is eager to relent and to not punish. then he says, who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you blessing instead of a curse. That's who God is. And I'm here to tell you, the process hurts, but this is true. I don't know how it's true. I don't know why it's true. It's mind-boggling to me, but it's true. And I'm literally walking in my life right now, this blood, I'm sitting here trying to teach, te- I don't deserve to sit up here and teach you anything. Literally, I don't. I've done nothing that I've achieved in life that should give me an opportunity to teach this. But the Lord says, no, but I'm not in that business. I'm in the blessing, I'm in the blessing business. I'm in the business of, of calling you out of those things and into the way that I've created you. I have wired you for more than this. That's right. 
I have gifted you for more than this. So church, repentance is turning, it's surrendering, it's receiving, and it's being transformed by his mercy in your life. I want to share with you guys, and this is the last thing I have to share, I want to share with you a vision that the Lord gave me. And this is pivotal in my life. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. Um, I know it's not your vision, but it's, it's something that really marked something huge in my life. And, and I thought maybe it would be helpful to you guys. So I just want to encourage you to close your eyes as I, as I share this with you because this isn't just a story about me. It's a story that I hope that you can put yourself in. But as I'm going through this journey and I'm in, in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, I literally felt like I was like in a Christian prison. It was crazy. And yet the Lord met me. The Lord met me every day. And I started on this nine-month journey being away from my family, being away from, you know, friends, being away from everything that just seems normal in life. I'm walking this path and I'm trying to understand what does repentance look like and what does this mean, Lord, and what do you want from my life and, and how do I get there? And I'm just I'm trying to figure it all out and I'm spending deep times in prayer and I'm walking miles and miles and miles every day in these trails in the middle of this nowhere branch. And, and the Lord stops me. And he gives me a vision and I don't get visions. But I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, what, what am I seeing? And I see that there's this throne, this beautiful throne. And it has these five steps that go down from the throne. From the, from the seat, there's five steps that go down to basically the ground level. And at the base of this throne, at the bottom of the stairs is Jesus. And he's standing there and he's looking at the seat. And in the seat is me. And then I look around, and there's this beautiful throne, but there is literally nothing else around me. It is all complete darkness. And I knew, as I looked around, I knew that there used to be this kingdom that was around me. And it had all been blown up. It had been exposed. It had been demolished. And there wasn't even just, there wasn't even rubble there. There was nothing. Darkness. And I looked around, and I realized that was the kingdom I built. And the Lord in his mercy blew it up and took it away. And he stood at the base of that throne and he looked at me in the eyes. And he didn't even have to say anything. I knew what he wanted. I knew in my heart what God was saying to me, what Christ himself was saying to me. He said, Marcus, as you look around, are you happy with what you did? Are you happy with what you built? And he looked at me, and again, didn't say it. I just knew it in my heart. And he says, are you ready to get off the throne? And I'm, I, I chose at that moment to step down off of the throne of my life and to give it to Christ and to say, you can do whatever you want. You can build whatever kingdom you want. You can create anything you desire, Lord Jesus, but I'm done ruling my life. And I have a question for you. As your eyes are closed and as you're thinking about this, who was on the throne of your life? Because if it is anything other than Christ himself, it is time for you to do business with him. You have to step down and let him take his place. Paul wrote some really hard letters to the Corinthians. 
And in 2 Corinthians verses, chapter 7, he said to them, he said, even if my letter made you sorrowful, I don't regret sending it, even though I felt awful for a moment when I heard how it grieved you. But he said, now I'm overjoyed, not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to a deep repentance. You experienced godly sorrow as God intended, and it brought about a gain for you, not a loss, so that no harm has been done by us. God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. I'm going to read it one more time. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, God designed you to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. Church, it's time to find victory. It's time to get off the throne of your life and let Christ take his place. And I say that, and I know it's painful, and I know I'm forceful, but I care about you. And maybe it's not your whole life, but every one of us has things where we sit on the mini throne and we're not willing to give that to Christ. And it's time for us to deal with it. I'm done with us playing church. It's time for us to be the church and be the ones that God has called us to be and those who are humble and humbled and enough, have enough of an understanding of who he is and who we are not to come before him and be willing to give up everything that we have. And so the way that we're gonna end this service is a little come to Jesus. If there is anything in your life, and I'm telling you right now, I'm commissioning you, I'm beckoning you, I'm begging you. If there's anything in your life where there's unrest that you believe that you sit on that throne, if there's any place that the Holy Spirit has been pointing or is currently pointing in your life where you need to repent, if there's anything that you have hidden, if there's any sin that you have not repented for, if there are any relationships that you are walking in that are not godly or whatever it might be in life, I can't run the gamut of guessing all these things, but if there's anything that have been pinpointed, it, now is the time to take care of them, church. Now is the time to part, start the journey of repentance. I'm five and a half years into this journey and I feel like I'm just barely scratching the surface. But I can tell you right now, in these five and a half years, my life is so different. God wants to come and meet you and bring blessing, not cursing. But it's up to you whether you're going to really start that journey or not. So we're going to have a song and I just want you to know this is not about people praying with you. We use other people as crutches in our lives so frequently, especially in church. We use people as crutches. And this is you and God, man. This is you and God. These altars are open. There'll be a song. There's nothing special about that song other than the fact that it gives glory to the Lord. And if there's something that he's doing in your heart, now's the time to take care of it. So if you need to come up here and you need to weep before the Lord, then weep before the Lord. If you need to go and take care of something else, then go take care of something else. Whatever he's speaking to you, now's the time. I beg you, don't walk out those doors without meeting with him in the way that he needs you to meet with him, the way you need him to meet with you. We have an opportunity here, so let's engage, and then I'll close this in prayer in a moment.
God, we are grateful. There, there is no word that we can use, no abundance of words that we can use to express the depth of gratitude that we have in our hearts for your love and for your mercy. Lord, that in our sin, we are dead, but you are so merciful to come and meet us in that place and to not just separate us from sin, Lord Jesus, but to bring us into the fold of who you are, bring us in as your children, to give us life and breath and joy and hope. And Lord, I'm thankful for the path of repentance that you've created, Lord, this process in our lives, this, this supernatural involvement, Lord, that doesn't just do away with sin in our lives, Lord God, but makes us look more like you. Because we can't do that in our flesh, God. But by your spirit, we can. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room, whether they're being directed by your Holy Spirit or not, Lord Jesus, that each of us would have hearts and minds that would be keen to listen to you, to, to know when it's time for us to walk the process and the path of repentance. Lord, that we fix our minds on you and our thoughts on your thoughts, Lord Jesus, and that everything around us that we've tried to control and tried to manipulate or tried to create different things, Lord Jesus, that all that goes by the wayside because the reality is, Lord, you have something far better than what we could ever make, far better than what we, we could ever create, far better than what we could ever dream. And it's only found in walking in right relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and you've given us this path of repentance to, to have that right relationship and to not be slaves to the flesh anymore. Lord, you've brought freedom through this. And for that, we say thank you. Lord, that we will walk this path no matter how hard or how easy it is, Lord Jesus, no matter how painful or painless, it is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. So we thank you, Lord. Continue to meet us. Continue to walk with us, Lord. Thank you for, God, thank you for pulling me out of the pit of despair and darkness and putting me on a rock, Lord Jesus, and using my life as a testimony for your goodness because I couldn't do it and I tried. But God, you can do all things. You are the miracle-working God. We are grateful. We honor you and serve you with everything that we are and everything that we have. We pray this in your precious and your holy name. Amen. Church, I love you. I do what I do because I love Jesus and I love you and Jesus loves you. And we serve an incredible God who's willing to meet us no matter where we are at. That, and bring us freedom, and bring us life, and bring us hope. But to the core and the depth of who I am, and there are people in this room that know me really well, and you know, like, this is a no BS journey. This is like five and a half years of my life where I'm a completely different person. I'm a completely different person. And I'm becoming a completely different person. I've arrived at nothing other than at the mercy seat of God. And now I'm just like living in this place where I'm experiencing the rich blessings that he brings. And I still fight my flesh. I do. But I, I don't fight it with the natural anymore. I don't fight it with my flesh anymore. I fight it with the Holy Spirit being the one that goes before me and the one that goes behind me and the one that murders all of those things because I recognize I no longer need to stare at my sin anymore. 
doesn't mean I'm okay with it. It actually means I'm detested. I'm so detested with my sin that when I operate in sin, I literally am sick because it's not honoring to God. It's not thinking the way that he thinks. It's not functioning the way he, he desires for me to function. But now I know that I have been given this path of repentance that immediately leads me back into the place of life. Immediately. Church, let's go on that journey together. For real. Because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's for every one of us here. We're going to end this service like normal. There's going to be lights that come on. There's going to be upbeat music that comes on. And that probably feels a little weird. But here's the reality. This is not an emotional journey. Emotions are involved. But if you are driven by your emotions, then maybe the best thing you can have right now is loud music and lights coming on because the reality is, is your emotions should not be the thing that carries you anywhere because your emotions is never going to carry you out of anything. Only Christ himself will do that. This process is something that is going to be not just for tonight, but it's going to be for tomorrow. And it's going to be for Monday and then for Tuesday and then for next week and then next month and for the next 10 years and the next 100 years. I don't know how long you're going to live, but whatever that is, this is for you. So let's do it together. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm honored. I'm blessed. But I hope and pray that this is deep-seated inside of you because it is probably one of the most important things you will ever capture in your life, this idea of repentance and what God has given you. So let's do it together. Share it with somebody else too. Love you guys.